0: The Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Well, folks, you know who is on today's episode, and we're going to introduce him here momentarily. Holy buckets, Corey Edge. Holy buckets. That's all I got to say. That's my phrase.
1: I know. And it is incredible. It's very... (laughs) Accurate in this discussion, I have no words. I mean, listen—if you have ever listened to any of our podcasts—and and obviously, there's a a group of about four or five that are extremely popular. This one, to me, was probably—I mean, I've said it before, but this might have been my all-time favorite interview. It's in the mix. I don't know,
0: I don't know how we keep just keep on keeping up with our favorites,
1: but it's in it's the mix. Just, It's wild because there's, we literally, I mean, if you clicked play, you know how long this episode is going to be.
0: Yeah. And we cover about, oh, I don't know, a million different topics. And it's kind of multi-species. Yeah. It's tail humble goats, but it's all, I mean, it's broad spectrum.
1: Oh, my. Just crazy. Wait for the, wait for the kitty talk there. Yes. the end. Oh, my. It's incredible. Oh, my goodness. Maybe Walton will be uh,
0: videotaping some kitties. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Maybe, well, Walton did videotape some kitties because our buddy, Greg Allen. That was a very pregnant pause in between (laughs) that. But yes, On the Road with Greg, if you missed the episode when he went out to their place and was doing... uh, some some video shoots, you did see a little bit of the cat facility. That's so, true. Folks, um, if you are in and around the livestock industry, you know or you should know who Walt Webcasting is. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. If you know who Stock Talk Podcast is, you should know who Walt Webcasting is. That's true. Because our relationship has been a special one. The folks at Walton, let's just do a little testimonial about how great they are. Because not only are they providing you the opportunity to see shows that you don't even have to travel to if you don't want to, but they are also bringing opportunity to view other parts of the livestock industry. Yep, I mean, this this On the Road with Greg thing, that's really cool. I mean, some people might think it's cheesy and corny. Maybe parts of it are. I think that's who Greg is, though. Yeah, a that's person. part of it. That's part of Greg. But I mean, the just to see the behind-the-scenes stuff of what it takes... To get into providing this kind of a service is nuts. So if you ever see a person that's working for Walton Webcasting at a show, go up and thank them for what they do. Yes, please. You know who else you should thank for what they do? Who's that? The great men and women that have served this nation. Yes. we Past, just, present, and future. We just had we Veterans just, Day. That's right. We just celebrated Veterans Day on Monday. And uh, let me tell you what. The freedom that we have to be able to show livestock in this country like we do would not be possible without them. And I know that there's lots of families. There's lots of show families in this industry that have veterans as a big part of it. So I'll tell you that you should probably think of veteran today. If you didn't do it on Monday, do it today.
0: Yes. I love it. And I'm also thankful for uh, another big, big part of what we do on top of Walton, on top of veterans. It's our great folks at Show Cattle Connections. Oh yes! Oh my gosh, they they're doing it on top of everything. I I, I'm amazed of the quality of of the livestock. Obviously, they're good because the people who use Show Cattle Connection as a source to sell their livestock know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But I, I just flipped down through Facebook, and the names that pop up that are using Show Cattle Connection is absolutely incredible. And if you are inexperienced or just getting started, I encourage you to reach out to one of their many very experienced team members with Show Cattle Connection because they will get you in the right direction. They'll be there every step of the way to help you post your first sale. And and the service as a buyer is incredible. Yeah. Say you're say you're not wanting to raise the cattle. You just want to buy some for your kids and go kick some butt in the in the circuit. Well, the place to do that is a show cattle connection and if you have questions, those same people are there to answer you. Bingo. So why, why not just uh, cover your bases? So speaking of uh, covering your bases, you've been asking for months and months on end about when we get in sweatshirts. Well, folks, if you're going to be in Louisville, that will be your first opportunity to finally buy stock talk sweatshirts. They are coming. And who are they coming from? the best people to get your screen printing and embroidery, Fierce Threads. Can we just talk for a minute about how incredible Fierce Threads is, specifically Mark and Jenna Stanley?
1: Yes, yes we can, Trevor. And if our audience members want to fast forward through this, they better stop because I'm telling you, you want to work with good people in this industry. You want to work with good people regardless of what industry you're in. But I'm telling you right now, it is a testimony from Trevor and I that everything we have ever done with him has been over the top, on time, great work. You can't ask for for better people to work with. And I just want to give a shout out to Mark and Jenna for everything they've done for us and for everything they do for their customers, including you guys that are listening, that have taken advantage of the quality work. And relationship
0: building that they've done, absolutely incredible.
1: So, Corey, absolutely.
0: let's um uh, let's get a little personal. I want the the good folks to to know what we've been doing this weekend. And shout out to uh, my great friends Jordan Marks and Adam Nydron. We had a heck of a time. We went to the local rodeo here mm-hmm. in Ohio. Yes, we do have rodeos here in Ohio. Um, the bulls were better than the riders, the cowboys. But it was still a really good time. But I gotta call you out, man. What did I do? Uh, well, we're we've got a mutual friend named Jordan Marks, who I just mentioned. Yeah, we do. And we all know that you just moved to Indiana, which we're all excited about. Yes. And you didn't tell me that you met your neighbor. Oh, uh,
1: yeah, I met my neighbor.
0: Can can we can I know what 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 you're the conversation you had with your neighbor?
1: Okay. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, I understand sometimes people go through some stuff and it's okay to talk to people about going through some stuff, but within the first two minutes of a conversation with my brand, with my new neighbor here in town, I learned quite a bit. So I'm walking out, getting ready to go to the farm and I my neighbor says, Hey hey, howdy neighbor. First time I've seen the guy. stand standing out there. They do the neighbor wave? Yeah, I did the neighbor wave and I'm already walking towards the truck and he's just right there. And I'm like, Well, I'll just go talk to the guy. He said, How you doing, buddy? My name's Corey. We just moved in. We're in this place here for a little while and uh nice to meet you. Said his name's Matt and uh start just a little small talk and I said uh, towards the end of our conversation, I said, "Well, Matt, what do you what do you do for a living?" He says, "Well, actually, I just got fired for my <laughs> job, at the magnesium plant here in town." Like, oh. I go, "Said, well, I guess that's a good excuse to go crack a cold one, have a nice beer." Then he tells me that he quits drinking because, uh, you know, he didn't didn't hasn't drank in a while, except for a couple days ago, after his best friend passed away. So then, I'm like, "Where do I go from here?" Because I've already found out this guy got fired from his job, and he doesn't drink, and but he did a couple weeks ago, or a couple days ago, because his best buddy died. And uh, so then I I brought up the topic of conversation that you know there's there was a bad tornado that struck this area uh, over the summer, and I said I said looks like everything held together pretty good over here. I said, I said you guys uh, have any have any problems? just like thinking what, where do I go, you know, from here and and the conversation. So then he says, well, he said, yeah, we, we, uh, we got pretty lucky. just had a couple shingles fly off the garage there. And, um, he said, yeah, but when we got the alert on our phone, we didn't have much time. He said, if you notice the ramp, handicap accessible ramp, uh, it's because my, my mother's bedridden. I said, Oh, I said, that's too bad. And then I made the biggest mistake I could have made. I said, well, what'd you do when the tornado came through? Oh God. And he says, we had no choice and I had no time. So I jumped on top of her (laughs) to shield her from anything that would happen. Oh boy. And, uh, at that point in time, my wife had walked outside and been there for a little bit during the part of our conversation that probably just went further South. And I tend to, uh, tend to care. And she said, "Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, we're gonna go to the farm now." And oh, thank you. Okay, so what do you do, What do you do? What do you do, Trevor? What do you do, man?
0: So I'm the poor guy, poor guy, gets fired. Then his best mm-hmm. friend dies. Yep. And not to mention, over the summer, he had to protect his poor mom from a tornado. Yep. Whew. Yeah. So Jordan told me. I don't me, know if my
1: neighbor's ever going to talk to me again.
0: Well when you bring up everything bad that's happened in the past couple of months in a matter of two minutes, yeah, so let's avoid that conversation.
1: <laughs> What's, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know what happened. I uh, don't know what happened.
0: Well, Jordan told me that, uh, he said, hey, did you hear that Corey met his neighbor? It's like, uh, no. It's like, we'll call him out. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll do that.
1: Uh, yeah. Well,
0: not only do I know the great story of how you met your neighbor, but now we're just a great stock talk nation.
1: I don't know if you're welcome or not, but, uh, you know, if there's anything to take away from this, when you meet somebody for the first time, don't ask them what they do. Don't ask them if they'd like to have a cold beer with you and don't ask them about their family, Yeah, which is probably the three things that I would do on just about every conversation that I have with people.
0: Yeah. You've learned. Mark it down.
1: Just keep, keep the small talk to a minimum. Don't, don't do normal small talk either. I don't. Need, uh, to be honest, if I have another conversation, I don't know what it's going to be about. Yeah. I really don't.
0: Oh, well, this segment in the day of the life with uh, <laughs> the host of Stock Talk.
1: Yeah. Well. Um, if you haven't fast forwarded uh, through the beginning of this to, to get to the interview, I think we're ready for it.
0: Yes. I cannot wait. wait. I can't either.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a man. Who has bought and sold cats to some famous people in this world. We're talking about a guy that has bought show goats from Texas and transferred them all the way up to the tundra that is Northern Illinois. We're talking about a guy that has gone and traveled to Argentina and been on a committee to judge Angus cattle. Yes, he raises show goats, but he's also a very influential mind in our industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been waiting for it. Here he is, Dale Hummel.
0: First and foremost, thanks for taking time out of your uh, busy schedule. I know we had a little confusion with time zones. That seems to to happen a couple times, so we apologize about that. But, uh, Dale, if you wouldn't mind to get started, uh, go ahead, and I'm sure you don't need much of an introduction. Pretty, Pretty much everybody in the livestock industry know who Dale Hummel is. But if you wouldn't mind, just tell yourself, tell a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do.
2: Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on today. Uh, my name's Dale Hummel, uh, along with my wife, Holly, uh, my four children, Dylan, Tara, Katie and Chase. And uh, maybe the one of the most important team members, our manager, Craig Benoit. We own and operate Hummel Livestock. Um, this has been a, an experience for us that... Uh, I, I wouldn't change any of it. I mean, it's been good. It's been bad. It's been everything in between, but we've certainly enjoyed every, every minute and being able to raise our children in this type of environment. As far Absolutely. as my beginning or the, the, how it all started for me, somewhat of a, a modest beginning, as far as I, I grew up in a small town, very near where I live now, um, called Cabri, Illinois, population of 200 people on a, on a really good day. <laughs> uh, that's that town, uh, we'd lived, uh, my parents and I lived right on the edge of that small town. And it, it was a, a situation where I, I probably didn't have the traditional being in, engrossed in livestock production every day and showing livestock every day. But rather, my, my first experience that I can remember, early childhood memory, would be sitting on a gate at the Chicago stockyards while my father unloaded a, a trailer full of fat steers. He was employed as a livestock hauler and uh, that, that's maybe where I was first exposed to livestock, or at least my first memory. I have two older siblings. I had two older siblings that were very much involved in showing livestock, and even more so, each of them had a couple southbound ewes, uh, a couple sows, and were, their goal in their projects were to raise show stock that they could go win a class at the Chicago International, <laughs> and that, that was that was quite the event for them, and I guess by the time I came along, they were significantly older than I was. Um, they were graduating high school about the time I was old enough to, to get started in 4H. And as they graduated, their livestock projects kind of kind of went to the wayside, and they sold those those projects. So I I was kind of stepped away from or not exposed to livestock there for for several years until I until I entered high school. Huh.
1: The older siblings left you hanging.
2: <laughs> they they, did. They, they, did. they took that. And it's interesting because when I, when I think about that and a lot of it maybe comes from pictures rather than, than an actual memory, but I do have one picture and to compare and contrast maybe to where I was then to, and my kids are now compared to where I was. One of my favorite pictures, uh, my brother and sister are in the basement of the house that uh, I was raised in right on the edge of this small town. And they're washing and fitting a southbound lamb, uh, getting ready to take it up to the to the international
0: in the basement. Uh, so was,
2: in the basement of the house, there was no no outside wash track or anything that could be used outside of of something in the basement. So it's it's interesting how <laughs> how things have really worked out and how it's possible for somebody that maybe wasn't completely engaged at a very young age to, to come back into this industry.
1: Yeah. So, so it's funny you bring that, uh, that story up of, of washing sheep and getting ready in the basement, because uh, I know as a fellow Blackhawk alum, uh, you've probably heard uh, stories or, or uh, about uh, Dan, Dan always told the story to us about uh, a young man by the name of Brian Godemiller that kept a, uh, a sh- couple show weathers in the basement of the projects, uh, while staying at, uh, staying at Blackhawks. So it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, <laughs> it kind of goes, uh, the, the, the trend hasn't changed over the years. Hey, I when your you
0: heart is that. in it as much as some of us, it doesn't matter where you keep them as long as they're healthy and looking good. And you plan on showing them, let's keep them in the basement.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree 100%. And it, it was good. And, um, I guess from, from that experience, my junior high years and then entering into into high school. Um, high school's where I became, I guess, re-energized into the livestock world or or maybe even even reintroduced. Uh, from the standpoint that I had an ag teacher by the name of Tom Poskin. Uh, for some reason he uh he pulled me aside and decided I need to become involved in livestock judging. And I, I can honestly say that ag teacher and that decision to go that direction really kind of dictated the, the rest of my life and the direction the rest of my life has taken. And yeah. I think it's my involvement in that livestock judging versus directly involved in showing. And I, and I showed a few animals through high school and never never accomplished much beyond a, a class winner at a county fair or excited to even participate at a state fair, but it was a, a great experience. And and the whole livestock judging experience, it was uh, three years or two years after I, I was introduced to livestock judging that he had put a team together with a, a couple other uh, students there at TriPoint High School, and we were able to win the National FFA Contest and off to Europe from there and, and was able to travel with some, some incredible people. As I, I look back on that, there was a team from uh, Colorado that we were traveling with that I believe won the National 4-H Livestock Judging Contest at that time. And uh, interesting enough, on that team – uh, you had Kevin Ochsner, uh, the host on RFD Cattleman to Cattleman, <laughs> mm-hmm. a very successful young man. Joel Calley, who's now a CEO at Houston. And I believe that one of the third members or the, another member was Todd Wise, who judges a lot of lamb shows now. It's, yep. it's just interesting how far back you can go and all those people kind of revolve back into your life in one way or another.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to make the trip to Europe, too. Uh, in my judging career, and the amount of people and the, and the people that I met on that trip, uh, from just from the states, not even counting the 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 cool industry people that you get to meet overseas, but it's just so crazy uh, how how full circle things get, and, and to watch people grow and and uh, develop different parts of the livestock industry, so very cool. Um, so so Dale, let's let's talk about humble livestock, and and uh, you know Trevor and I kind of and. I would venture to guess a lot of other people would view Hummel Livestock at this point as kind of a dynasty. Uh, I would venture to guess you guys have probably won uh, most every major show in, in Midwest State Fair more than one time, and uh, <laughs> it's, it's just impressive. Um, you know, it was always cool—the cool thing to do at Blackhawk to to uh, watch your guys' sales and and just the way you guys have been able to picture and market livestock. It's just uh, uh, something that I think a lot of people try to model and and uh, definitely can take a lot from so let's talk about the beginning of Homo livestock why you got started uh, especially in the good industry um, because in all reality it's still kind of in its infancy even though we don't uh, think of it that way anymore but uh, let's just dive in
2: oh absolutely and and uh, thank you for the the compliments there we're, we're excited how it's how it's gone for us and this was this was a map of let's let's uh, figure out what segment of the livestock industry we want to come into and for some reason my wife and I along with our our manager actually that our current manager now was employed here part-time with us uh, in another business and he was just finishing up college uh, once we when we started to get into the goat business or initiated ourselves in there but it, it's interesting to me if I were to sum up one one the the reason for the existence of Hummel Livestock or, or any of the successes that we have would be embracing the non-traditional thinking Mm. and i think we can kind of take that back and you guys had had mentioned are watching one of the goat sales on on the marketing side i don't know that that we were that far out there for maybe what the pig guys or the cattle guys were doing or even some of the lamb guys when we first started but that the fact that we we tried to take it to the next level and there just wasn't anybody in the goat world getting livestock clipped and pictured and and uh professionally presented I guess for an online sale or to put up on social media because the timing that that had a huge impact it's it's interesting to me when I reflect back on that just just how much attention it gathered from from non-traditional goat people or just just livestock enthusiasts and I would I would consider myself one of those if you were to, to go back in time and even even we've been in the goat business since 2012 if you'd asked me in 2008 Will you ever own a goat or your kids show goats? I would have told you I I, I doubt it. <laughs> or at least right. I, I don't think that'll happen. And and the same thing. But but it, but the infancy that that we are experiencing now, I think, worked to our advantage because we were able to to be the first to do some of those things. And it's it's really a, an exciting time still in the goat business to try to make those those genetic selections that that make those goats quality livestock or just make them good livestock or more like what you and 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 cory and and myself would think of okay what kind of animal do we want to take into the show ring and that's kind of been our goal let's let's just make them into good livestock and and move forward and we've been very well well received um showing those goats especially under what i call non-traditional goat judges but rather the those people with a livestock base that are that are coming from the lamb ring or the cattle ring or even the pig ring uh and judging some of these goat shows
0: and it's, it's been a been
2: a great ride and, and really, really good. So we're, we're excited about those things. We're, we're excited about a, a lot of things that, that are, have evolved, um, I guess, over the past eight or nine years here. The concept of Hummel Livestock probably goes way back to when, uh, shortly after my wife Holly and I got married, we had made the decision. I was teaching at uh, Joliet Junior College at that time, and we made the decision that uh, once our children are old enough to to be involved in livestock. We we certainly want to have them experience that stock show lifestyle and even take it a notch further that on a small scale, we wanted to to have a few breeding animals that they could experience that as well. And in our mind, that was going to be 20 cows or a few sows or a few ewes never really entered our mind to have the does. (laughs) But uh, once we, once we we made the decision let's let's focus on another aspect of our business and and that wasn't directly livestock, but between my teaching and and that business having quite a bit of success, we were able to uh, save enough capital that once we decided to come back into the livestock world we could come in and and spend a significant amount of money on genetics that we thought uh, we could make successful or even take to the to the next step and and uh once we once we decided that we were gonna Pursue the the goat industry and and uh, purchase a few goats. We we came into it the mentality we're going to go out and, and buy twenty does and and try to get access to one of the the best bucks that we we possibly could. That started about 2010. Uh, we spent two years uh, attending every Texas major goat show, going to every Texas goat breeder that we thought might have a genetic piece that we could utilize at some point. And uh, once we we continued i guess this process we kept coming back to the same operation uh that operation was kelly Meat goats um they were very dominant at that time in, in the texas shows mm-hmm. they had goats that looked considerably different than anybody else's uh, in my mind looked a little more like sheep but a little more like the livestock i was i would prefer to look at <laughs> uh and, and the, the interesting part of that was, well, this is going to be easy. We, we've got a significant amount of money to go out and purchase these 20 dozen bucks. It, it shouldn't be that difficult. Well, I, I got to know Mike Kelly and I I respected exact, uh, the exact genetic process he took to, to get to the point that he was. And we were down there several times visiting and looking at goats. And finally, I, I just asked him what how can I possibly purchase some of your elite does and and have access to one of your best bucks? And in a very polite manner, he says, that's not possible. (laughs) Um, And he, uh, he was very serious about that from the standpoint that he understood that he had something very unique. His weather sales were unprecedented in terms of what the dollar amount those, those show goats were bringing. And he, he simply wouldn't sell a buck. He wouldn't sell a doe he'd simply sell weather prospects and was providing a a very good living for his family doing so, Um, we continued to to build that relationship and and friendship. And over the next year or so, he did let us buy a couple does, uh, two does, I think on on one of our trips and, and a handful the next time. Then he sold us half interest in one of his bucks, but it wasn't and, and we and I don't want this to be taken incorrectly. It wasn't that we didn't appreciate what we were allowed into. And I think it was more of a test on his standpoint. Okay, let's let's give you some of the average ones or kind of the middle of the road, but not the elites and, and see what you can do with them. And he, he took that approach and and we jumped on board and it, and it was good. We we certainly needed the experience of managing and raising some goats outside, uh, outside of other or different. It's obviously different than raising other livestock, even though, when we entered into it, I thought, well, this can't be that hard. It'll be similar to sheep or cattle, or even even apply some some pig principles into it, whatever direction you want to go. But it it really is a different beast, and it's it's been been interesting trying to trying to wrap our head around it, and a lot of trial and error involved. But going back to to the purchase, um, we'd had goats from from them, a few does, and and we're using a buck of of Kelly Meat Goats. And I don't know, it's probably a year into the process after we bought our first few does from him that uh, my family and I were on vacation in Florida. And I received a call from from the Kelly family and they had made the decision they wanted to completely sell out of the meat goat business. And wow. they were going to offer that to to my family there. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know how many does they have, but I'm, I'm sure it's between two and three hundred with a, a, a lot of bucks to, to take on. And I'm thinking I I don't have the facilities. We we don't have the experience. We we don't have any of the above to to jump in with both feet like that. But at the same time, Mike explained it very clearly that he's not gonna piece it out. I can't come in and buy if I were to come in and buy 20 does and a buck. And I, that was kind of my I guess get offer to him when he asked me about buying it all. I said, Well, I don't really need them all, but I'd love to, to come in and buy your top end. And he just laughs a little bit and says, well, we can do that, but it's going to cost you the same amount of money. <laughs>
1: yeah. he, he That's understood a, that's a he heck had. of a salesman
2: there. Yeah, and he did. And he understood what he had very well. Um, my wife and I discussed it. We discussed it in detail with our now manager, Craig Benoit, um, and actually sent Craig down there, flew him down to Texas prior to us even getting back from Florida to start the negotiations on, on buying that herd of meat goats and, about a week later, we, we ended up purchasing the entire set of goats, and over the next few months, we moved the goats from Texas to, to the north here with minimal facilities. We had a show barn that we had constructed that I was really excited about. It's, it's heated. It's insulated. It's, it's, it's a nice facility with a wash rack. It was when we built it, we thought, okay, we're going to put a few barrows in here, a few show lambs, maybe a show goat, maybe in a show steer or two, and this is what we're gonna, where we're going to spend our family time. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a new concept until 300 goats come up, and all of a sudden
0: they've taken over the barn. <laughs> yeah, it so, became one species it, quite quickly.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> and and we scrambled to lease another facility, and and eventually we found facilities that 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 we've evolved into now, and it's it's worked out. But it was it was not something we set out to do is buy that many. We wanted to, to simply create a, an experience for our children. But my wife and I are, are very guilty of not wanting to do anything just partway. And she's maybe even worse than I am about it, that we were determined those are the genetics that we wanted. And the only way we were going to get them was, was to buy it all. In hindsight, we probably could have sold off a, a large portion of those genetics um, and recouped a lot of our investment very early on. But I think part of the reason that Mike Kelly chose to sell them to us is he, he preferred to to not let those genetics out while he had them and he'd rather see them kind of stay together. So we, we honored that. And I think from a business model, it maybe was in our best interest long term to do just that. If we would have turned around and sold off 50 percent or more of those goats, all of a sudden, those genetics are out there, and, and those are some very unique genetics that took a lot of time to put together. Um, we would have been competing basically against ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we did take sure. the philosophy of, of holding tight for quite a while and and, and moving forward. But it's been good. It's, <laughs> I, I don't regret any of it. Uh, challenges every single day. I know a lot of people looking in from the outside. You see, well, here's here's a great online sale or Here's a, a picture of a goat on on social media. It looks incredible, but. There's there's those days like today where it's snowing and and kind of half raining and the waters are starting to freeze up and and everything else. I, I don't need to explain it <laughs> to you guys, but there's there's a lot of lot of lot of good and bad with with the whole
0: process. Oh yeah, I actually saw a, a deal on Facebook. I think it was today where it said, "If you love winter, you must not own livestock." So I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, as, no, as far I as agree the weather 100%. comes.
1: Well, Dale, um, you know, you talked a little bit about uh, uh, where you've been, and I think we've got a a perfect topic that was submitted by an audience member to go ahead and dive into. So we're going to jump into a segment we call Topics from a Hat. Let's see if I can get this one right this week, Trevor. (laughs) Topics from a Hat, brought to you by Fierce Threads. The only apparel that we get embroidered and screen printed comes from the good folks at Fierce Threads. Fierce Threads is your number one source for high-quality screen printing and embroidery. Put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel today at Fierce Threads. Big shout out to those guys. We're actually getting hoodies drop shipped to us at the North American on Monday, so a week from today. What a turnaround time! Do not call Mark or Jenna and tell them that we told you that because don't expect uh, they—they're just so busy right now. Yeah,
0: it's crazy, quite busy. So, we have a listener by the name of Bill on Facebook, and he has a really good question that I think applies directly uh What has been the biggest challenges in the past several years, especially with the boar goats, and kind of where did you see the evolution of the show goat industry
2: bill that that's that's a good question um challenges we could we could spend a long time in that, but i think um if we <laughs> If we look at the big picture and, and, and those of, of you in the livestock industry, I think it makes sense. We've, we've taken an animal that's really thrived in Texas in a, a very dry, warm environment, uh, brought them up to what we call the north and in, in trying to raise show goats or weather-based show goats in, in Illinois uh, with our wet springs, our, our extremely cold winters. We've got to get everything inside for kidding. It's, it's a challenge. Anytime that we put a large number of animals under one roof
0: mm-hmm. and
2: and try to take them out of maybe what's more normal they're they're native to south africa so again another dry hot climate they don't like this climate um, parasites are an issue because of the the rain the humidity all the above um, everything's a battle to, to get that done up here in terms of cost now if you had unlimited resources you can build that eva- immaculate facility i mean it, it can be done just as well up here but I, I would venture to guess our overhead relative to somebody raising the same goats in Texas is probably twofold, uh, maybe even a little bit higher than that uh, because of facilities and, and all the above that, that we have to encounter up here. So that, that's been our, our, our biggest dilemma to, to try to get, get through all of those things and, and still get these things to produce year in and year out and, and raise quality, quality goats, even though they, they really don't like this, this climate whatsoever. Um, the second challenge that I guess that, that has become more recent or the past few years, we've worked very, uh, diligently to, to try to do our best. And, and we assume that if we, we jump in with both feet and do everything that we can, that, that hopefully some, some level of success will follow. And it was a little more of an unknown because it was a goat business and you don't know if they're going to be widely, widely accepted a- across the country as maybe we saw in the South. But, uh, once we, we achieve some success at the national level and, and we see this in, in all species that the, the show stock we will have a, a certain breeder rise to the top in in the pig business or the lamb business or cattle business, whatever it is. And, and they may maintain that for a short period of time. Maybe even, even those select few that, that seem to stay on top. And, and maybe I'd turn this around just a, a little bit here, uh, Corey or Trevor in the, in the pig world, um, what do you give me give me a, a breeder is, is, is there a breeder out there that stayed on top for, for many years in the club pig world
1: oh I mean there's there's been handfuls that have stood the test of time you know 10 15 plus years Uh That seems the environment has been as competitive now as it ever has uh, I
2: think I think so and and it's interesting you'll see that and I mean I, I can we can go back to some of the old breeding uh pig names the rotobaws and the Kilmers and those guys and they will continue to to be there and they'll rise to the top for a year or so. And then you you may not hear of them winning just a national show, but they're right there and and, stay in the hunt. But it's, it's, it's harder for me to put into words and and explain how difficult it is. And in our, in my opinion, anyway, I think once we we got to a level of success that we were very well recognized and it it almost becomes expected that you, you need to go out there and do well. And I'm sure a lot of that pressure I'm putting on ourselves, but it's, it's in my opinion, it was easier for us to climb up towards the top than to maintain ourselves at, a, at an extremely high level. Uh-huh. It's taken more work now to, to continue to stay, stay towards the top. And, and it's, it's a challenge. I, I promise you those, those swine breeders or sheep or cattle breeders, those that are at the top and have maintained that for a long period of time, there's a couple things that are going on They're They're sacrificing a lot of sleep. They probably don't have a real solid balance in their life. When I say that in terms of family and marriage and things like that, it's, it's maybe similar to, to think about some of our judging coaches out there, how much time they have to put into preparation. Some of your more successful judging coaches are usually single and, and quite a bit younger because they are afforded the time to, to go out there and and spend that amount of time traveling with those kids and coaching and all, all the above. And this really isn't a lot different that this, this, this whole situation that you create for yourself, once you get to a certain level to stay there is, is certainly a challenge. It's, it's been one for us and we're excited to still be a, be a part of it all and hopefully can find continued success, but it's, there's a lot of sacrifices that, that are gonna follow to try to try to maintain that.
0: Oh yeah right well, I mean the success you've had in the seven years you you've said you've been in business has been been pretty awesome and, and I would like to kind of add with all the successes that you and your customers both have had, what keeps you up at night you just said all of the challenges that you face uh, on a daily and seasonal yearly basis um, but what what kind of keeps you fired up and and motivated? uh, with all the success you have had?
2: No, that's, that's a great question. And, and I, I think part of that is it revolves around itself, but, oh, if, 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 I could let you into my mind and my wife would, would be the best one to ask this question to, <laughs> uh, we don't have, we, <laughs> there's just not enough time to even, even get started on what I, what I stay awake thinking about. But if I were to try to, to summarize, maybe, um, it's my belief that, there's always a better way to do everything. Mm. Um, This leads to maybe some of our non-conventional thinking and and taking different directions in life that that my wife and I have taken from a business standpoint. And if we implement another philosophy that if you leave zero room for error, at any level that there's likely going to, we're going to find success that follows that. So zero room for error is what we continue to kind of preach and, and live by example for our kids that we've got to go out there and, and make sure that water bucket spotless two or three times a day. We've got to make sure everything is is done at the right time and, and with a purpose. And trying to, for, for some unknown reason, with this philosophy, it, uh, it almost seems to come down on me that I, I think I need to solve all these problems uh, as I lay down to go to sleep at night. And, and it, it, it does constantly enter my head and my best solution is turn the TV on to distract me for five seconds, and I'll be asleep. But if I, I lay there without a distraction, it's a problem. So it's it's good. I mean, there's there's just that that constant trying to figure out a better way to do things, and, oh. and that's more of a neurophilosophy, I guess, that that we can apply to life, maybe even more so than to to our operation. But but that's honestly what what I what I think about every night is I as I go to sleep.
1: So this is two weeks in a row, Dale, that we're, we have great T-shirt ideas. Uh, I, I think putting find a better way to do things on a T-shirt. I like it. It's going to be good.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: That's good. Listen, we're going to take a break in the action from Stock Talk to uh, talk about a little something, something. If you tow and haul with your truck, then you know how important it is to have a reliable vehicle. Well, i tell you what. The guys over at Fleece Performance test their products like you use them. So, you know, they can stand up to the harshness that is towing. Maybe it's every day. Maybe it's just your truck that you haul to shows. doesn't matter. They have a complete lineup of race-proven products, everything from turbochargers and cylinder heads to lift pumps and injection pumps. Visit them. At fleeceperformance.com or at the new service and manufacturing facility in Pittsburgh, Indiana, just west of Indy on I-74. Use promo code STOCKTALK for 10% off your purchase. That's promo code STOCKTALK for 10% off your purchase. Chop today. See you later. Welcome back to Dale Hummel. That's good. Um, so, so, Dale, my, uh, my dad and I, we always have this conversation. Uh, about what we're going to do to better the, the edge brand and, and, and what we need to do and, and part of that part of that thing for me um, is knowing what's been kind of the, the most memorable pieces of, of successful peoples um, in, in this industry. Um, you know what's been the most memorable buck or doe or weather or something you've been involved, involved with, um, because for me, it's finding those genetic pieces and things like that. So you guys have had a ton of them. Um, it's no secret. So, uh, maybe, maybe, uh, kind of like asking Ted Laird, who his favorite boar was of all <laughs> yeah. time, he said, it was like asking him uh, to pick a favorite kid. Uh, but you know, what's been, you know, if you can't give us one a handful, let's talk about some of those, uh, most memorable livestock uh, that you've been a, a part of with, with how
2: I, I think it's a good question. It's, it's a difficult one. Um, not, not that there's, there's necessarily those that stick in your mind because they won this show or that show. But like you said, some of those genetic pieces are, are really kind of ingrained that while you, you, you hope that this, this genetic combination is going to work, and, and in hindsight, if that's one of them that did, those are ones that, that you continue to, to reflect back on and, and maybe learn from and, and try to build from. Um, a specific weather that sticks in my mind is possibly one of the the first weathers that my daughter had won the North American with, I believe, back in 2013. Um, just a just a special moment that would have been one of our first wins at the national stage or at the national level, and it's it's almost a uh, uh, pinch yourself. Or, are you dreaming? Did you did you actually raise one and, and have your child exhibit something that you raised that that wins a national show? And it's it's very humbling. Um, an experience that that is uh, invaluable, priceless, I guess, from a, from a lot of aspects. Another one would be, uh, I can think back to a a doe that was was extremely hairy. She was kind of colored up. Uh, her name was actually Facebook. Um, and she got the name uh, by, we, it would have been one of the very first does that had enough hair on her that we, we didn't. Our manager and I, and we had a, a young man that had a little bit of goat experience working for us, but we really didn't know how to clip goats or how to picture a goat or, or any of the above. So we kind of just fell back on general livestock knowledge and, and let's go ahead and, and clip these things more similar to cattle. And this one was, I mean, she had a couple inches of hair on her. She had color in the right spots, all those things. So we decided to, to, to clip her up, get her pictured in, in a little more professional manner than maybe what what had been seen prior to that, and, and maybe the goats and even even a little bit into the sheep world. You you'd saw some of those pictures out in the cattle sales, but not not in the other the other species right. at, at that point. Um, so we put her up on Facebook, and I, I don't I couldn't even tell you what the the heading was or anything like that. But at that time, Facebook wasn't. Uh, I I don't know what we would have had for a following at that time, but I'm sure it was several hundred followers at at best uh, compared to to maybe where we're at now, but uh, it just blew up. Um, I don't know how many likes or comments or any of the above, but I can promise you that I probably had more people contact me uh, via text or a phone call or stop me at a livestock show that had never even considered owning a goat that, wow, they, they were really kind of intrigued by something like that. And, and what are the opportunities in the goat business, all the above. So that, that one social media post of that one doe, it, it I mean, it, it stuck in my mind. It almost confirmed a lot of what we had hoped would happen, mm-hmm. uh, but you still are always just, just hoping that you could have that good fortune to, to have things go the right direction. And that was an indicator. Um, the, the final one that I want to mention is, is not necessarily a individual animal. We talked a little bit about uh, the, the Kelly buyout and, and so forth. We brought those goats back up to Illinois, and there were some doe kids uh, amongst those that were probably five or six months old. We had way more goats than we had facilities. <laughs> so it was our, our idea, well, let's let's test the market just a little bit and, and sell a few doe kids, and, and not necessarily the elite ones that you'd want to put into a flush program, but just, just nice doe kids. Um, I believe it was in the fall of the other of year. Um, there was decent hair on them, not, not great winter hair or anything like that, but we spent a little bit of time, uh, getting washed, getting clipped, clipped up, getting them pictured. And, and there maybe was a dozen, 15 does that we put in the sale. And it been been one of our very first online doe sales. And the next thing you know, as soon as those were posted, um, our manager's phones blowing up, my phone's blowing up. We're, we're getting interest from, and we, we certainly had interest from other goat breeders, but it was, it was much more the club calf guy, the,
0: huh. the
2: guy raising club lambs, a, a pig producer here or there. It was the, those coming in from the other species that had interest in it. And we didn't know what to expect. I was, I was pretty nervous that, that maybe these things won't even sell online. Um, that, that first sale averaged over $4,000 on, on those doe kids. Wow. And it, it was a, it was a great event from a standpoint. Wow. We, we may not have made a bad investment here and, and things are going the right direction. But I think as much as anything, it was, it was the timing and, and presenting those in a manner that, that people hadn't seen before. And it just worked. And probably as much luck involved in all of that as there was just this great mental plan that, that maybe we had in, in the back of our mind, we can, we can pretend that was it, but it was, it was a lot of good timing and, and just good fortune for us.
1: Wow. Right. Well, that, that leads into, uh, you know, another, another kind of- idea and, and discussion maybe we had a little down uh further in our list but you know the 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 branding and just the thought behind um you know thinking outside the box doing things differently um you know you guys created your own show halter you know and and just you know something that's unique that uh you know some folks have have obviously found valuable and utilized so can we talk about that a little bit I mean, what was the thought behind that where'd you see the value in it and and how it was going to impact uh, your business, and and how goats are shown.
2: No, absolutely, and and uh, we've, we've 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 created some some humble livestock gear and, and a show halter, and we've done some branding with some different feed companies and things like that. And I think all of that contributes to a to the image or the brand, uh, in a, as a whole. But the halter was an interesting one because the the goats that we're working with are, are probably just a little bit higher strung, higher metabolism goats. Uh, A little crazier than than a lot of what we call the full bloods or the more traditional breeding goats. And it was always easy for us to get those those goats halter broke and just put on on a barn halter and go but when we tried to put a chain a thin chain around their neck sometimes with spikes maybe not with spikes. And, and get those darn things to move, it, it just wouldn't happen. I mean, they, they would pull down, they'd pull back, they'd do everything that you think an animal would do when you put a chain around their neck.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't any master marketing plan or anything, but we developed, I didn't want to walk in the show ring with a barn halter. So I had talked to Weaver Livestock about uh, developing a show goat halter, uh, and we, we kind of modeled, modeled it off of just a, a regular cattle halter. And the first uh, few prototypes that we had, uh, I had my kids show with them. I can remember showing at Louisville and Kansas City and several places. And then and we, we really did catch uh, my kids on occasion in a showmanship class that get beat up a little bit. But then the next younger, more livestock-based judge would come along and, and they'd commend them for for kind of coming in and doing something out of the ordinary. They they appreciated those those goats could walk out and they could actually evaluate movement. And it just made sense to some of the judges, but others were very, traditional in their mindset and, and understanding that 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 just hadn't been done before other than uh maybe a young kid just starting out uh showing with the with halter from the same but, but for the same reason so it doesn't get loose so you have more control so it can present itself better so we we kind of took that direction and and uh our kids weren't by any means forced to use a halter it's their choice whether to use a, a halter or a chain but it just worked out much easier so it was almost uh created out of a necessity uh, that we needed to, to change something we were doing to to make it a better experience for our kids and, and the goats in the show ring. And interesting enough, a couple of years later, it really took off to where now we go to the, the Texas majors or a national show. And I'm going to say we've probably got half the kids using halters at this point, And it's it's pretty well received as a judge. I, I I preferred to see them in a halter just because they, they do hold themselves better on the move mm-hmm. in general. No, not to say you can't get an experienced showman with a goat that really cooperates and, and they can look just as good on a chain and, and really parade themselves out there and, and, and definitely look the part. Um, but in general, most, most goats, especially our genetics and a lot of the younger kids, they're going to get along a lot better and have a better experience from that standpoint. Yeah. With that said, it's an, it's an interesting concept that there are some county fairs there in the beginning, they, they ban. People from using a halter in the show ring. Huh. We we still have a, a national show out there today that in their premium book it states they're they're not allowed to use halters. Uh, the kids use the halters to go to the wash rack to go up to the scale, but once you hit the show ring, they they're not allowing you to do that. And I get many calls about about that show and from other families saying, well, can you can you get that changed? Well, I said I can I can visit with them and I have question that that rule and and ask what what's the the reason behind it and they, they really there, there is no it'd be like asking you guys why why wouldn't you there's no real yeah, logical right. explanation so it's it's uh, in our mind let that that kid choose what's going to work best for them and some goats do work better on chains and and that works out great and some goats work better on a halter and and that makes for a positive a more positive experience so hopefully uh those few shows out there still that are, that are kind of holding tight to, to not allowing that will, will change over time. I know one aspect that, that actually concerned me and it wasn't the reason we developed it, but I can use our kids as an example. And it's happening across the country with some of those goats, when they get a little nervous in the ring and they decide to stop and pull down on that chain, I mean, there's, there's a very fine line there that they're starting to choke themselves out. They're not going to, they're not going to die. They're not going to do any of these things, but if we think about the world's watching and we have to be conscious of how we're presenting ourselves in public and especially in the show ring when some of these things are on Walton webcasting or, or many of the other outlets, we certainly don't want that type of presentation out there that would maybe allow others to question our animal welfare or even uh. into the animal rights side. And, and I promise you there's, there's some of those that are going to perform a whole lot better if, if we don't put that chain around their neck.
0: Yeah. Well, Dale, I picture you uh, in one of those sleepless nights that we just <laughs> talked about, we we just referred to that discussion. You probably popped up one night and said, oh, show halter and goats. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> You've created it. Yeah, so that, it goes that, back to how do we that, do things that. better? I
2: think we it was out of necessity. We, we had to figure out a way to, to combat the issues that we were having in our own barn and a lot of the goats that we're selling. It was just hard to get those goats to to break to the chain and, and go. And it, it worked We're we're excited that the the industry kind of embraced it over time. And it's, it seems to be a little more standard now than it, than it was a, a few years ago.
0: Yeah. Hey, speaking of, uh, your kids, you just talked about that was kind of your first trial. Uh, we have a big congratulations to give with the, uh, big win of the goat proficiency.
2: Uh, thank you very much. We're pretty proud of Tara's been involved in, in both of our, our animal businesses and and uh, and had a lot of success using that as a placement project for her uh, FFA project. And it, it's it's good. It's a great experience. And it's, it's interesting to me if I encompass it all into whether it's FFA or 4-H, but just the platform, those two organizations are are providing our youth in and, and agriculture and they're, everything's not perfect, but wow, do do they have an advantage over the rest of the kids in the world in terms of what directions they can go and and what they're learning about life and and the ability to 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 just get out there and, and compete and be professional and it's something's going to going to be lifelong for them. It's it's incredible. Yeah.
1: No doubt. Well, well, I'm sure there's no, uh, there's no FFA profici- proficiency for Savannah cats. So
2: uh. <laughs> they're, they're actually, they're, they're not, not for Savannah cats, but not for, she, yeah, specifically. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She didn't for specifically, but she competed last year in, uh, and I would have to, to, to go look, but I believe it was small animal production. And that, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> It's crazy. There's there's nothing that you can raise right now that that FFA doesn't have a slot for. That's cool. so she competed with this small animal thing with the exotic feline breeding project and and actually did it with the the intent. Well, let's do this first to kind of practice up for a goat proficiency.
0: That is way cool. Uh, yeah. So she was
2: a year ahead of her time. She wins her state gets invited to nationals and, and had the good fortune of winning the national proficiency in that area as well.
0: Wow. That's, that's cool. incredible. Well, that brings us to a, a next topic that we are dying uh, to discuss. Corey said Savannah cats. I know what, what a cat looks like when I cross it on the road. Uh, so tell the listeners folks, listen, this is something that most of us can't even picture. But this is a whole industry in itself, and you guys raise these cats. I'm going to give you the floor and tell all of us everything we need to know and how you guys got started in it. We really should have ha well,
2: we really we really should if she was here i'd I'd bring her over because she she's the one that's that's managing that that business at, at this time but it's 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 been very good to us and and just like the the goat business and I'm going to use some examples that that parallel here a little bit. And and earlier I had mentioned that Holly and I took ourselves away from the livestock business per se, or we didn't jump right into breeding livestock, even though we knew at some point that we wanted to allow that industry to to be a part of raising our children. Uh, We focused on the Savannah cat business and it's um, exotic feline. I was in graduate school at the University of Illinois. Uh, working on a master's degree in ruminant nutrition. I'd gotten to know uh, Dr. Ray Favaro. He was doing a postdoctorate in reproductive physiology with a strong emphasis on uh, exotic animals. And I I don't even know how we became friends or acquaintances or how our relationship began, but uh, a year or so into our relationship, he came to me with the idea that he says, "I, I think we can take a cat, from Africa uh, called the serval, which I I didn't even know what a serval cat was at at the time, but it's about a 40 or 50 pound cat. Looks similar to a cheetah with big ears. Says we can take one of these and we can breed it to a domestic cat and we can get something in between. And my thoughts were, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. I don't know that it's going to be that easy or nor it's going to work like that, but I I like the concept (laughs) and he's coming at it from a strictly a science base. He just wants to see if he can do it. My mind's going a, a completely another direction that <laughs> wow everybody out there is wanting to own a baby tiger or a yeah, right. cub or whatever and that they're gonna grow up and, and things are gonna go all wrong. <laughs> but if we could actually bring something into a person's home that has that exotic wild look or wild feeling with the basic management of a domestic cat. That this is a home run. This, this is something that's really going to work. So I spent a couple uh, months really heavy researching, calling Cornell, calling UC Davis, every geneticist I could to ask the simple question can, can we do that? And 100% of the time, the answer was no, it can't be done. They're, they're too far apart genetically. Um, it just, their gestation links, I mean, they're, they're, they cited many good reasons it wouldn't happen. But this Dr. Favero continued to be very persistent that it it can happen. So I went ahead and and purchased a male serval. And at that time, I was still in graduate school at the University of Illinois. Um, The shepherd there at the time, his name was Dick Cobb. I think he's recently retired. But he had a lot of barn cats running around there that were very fertile. And I managed to gather a couple of those female cats under his permission, put them in with a serval, and uh, a couple of years later, we had live babies and huh. we had uh, the first, what we'd call F1 wildcat domestic cat progeny. And, and it's, it's really taken off from there. I, I didn't know for sure, kind of like the goat thing. I didn't know how big it could grow, but I think the fact that, uh, that we were able to create something new and it's hard for me to put into perspective when we were so geared to, to looking at the livestock industry and the show industry. There's a very small portion of our population in the United States that either has the desire or the ability to to go out and be a part of our industry or show livestock. Mm -hmm. But the percentage of people out there that are going to own a pet, not that can can own a pet, but will own a pet, whether it be a dog, a cat, a fish, a lizard, whatever it may be, is is really astronomical. And the, the difficult thing for me to still wrap my head around is that some of these people will treat these pets as their children and they're willing to spend a significant amount of money to get the kind of pet that they they really desire. And that, that's where it's kind of evolved or or led into that that once we we had these these kittens alive and, and we we're able to kind of push them out there through different forms of advertising. Uh, there was another lady in Oklahoma doing the same thing unbeknownst to to us that we were both working on the same project at the same time, you know, within a couple months of each other, we, we had live babies. Um, fortunately we, we got to know her very well and we kind of worked together that first five to 10 years, I would say, um, and took the Mike Kelly philosophy. Remember he didn't, he didn't want to sell any of those genetics because he wanted to hold tight and keep the value up. Mm. But we made an agreement with that other breeder that, that we would not sell any, any fertile females. The males were all sterile, kind of like the, the horse donkey mule type situation that, that genetically that the males are going to be infertile until we breed them way out several generations. But the females had some fertility, not great, but some fertility. So we simply kept back all the females and she did the same thing. So at that point, not only could we control the market, but we could uh, establish the breed standards. We, we, could, we could take every direction and, and lay that blueprint out prior to anybody else even being involved in it. There were others trying to imitate it, but it was a difficult enough procedure that, that at that time nobody else was, was able to do so. So it was, it was an ideal scenario. And, and fortunately, we had a, another person out there willing to work with us. So we kind of worked together for those first few years. At some point, we had too many females, and and we did start selling breeding females, and it was very well-received. And I would say uh, today there's probably 2,000-plus savannah breeders worldwide, Um, so they're they're out there. But I think the same philosophy uh, holds true to what we've experienced in, in the cats. We had a strong enough livestock background and some ideas in terms of marketing that weren't proven but when we were able to do a, a good job raising the cats and breeding the cats and, and using a lot of the same principles that, that you would apply to a livestock operation in conjunction with some unique marketing ideas, it just it just took off. And, and even today, there's people out there raising cats or dogs or, or pets in general. Some of them are tremendous on the marketing side. Some are really good on, on raising those companion animals, but very few of them are able to do both. And then that's do it the best job possible raising the animal and have a marketing plan behind it. So it's, it's an industry that that to me has so much opportunity because when you come in with some of that livestock background and a little bit of marketing experience, it's, it's not hard to, to work your way to the top. And and the rewards are that there seems to be a, a much larger amount of disposable income out there that people are willing to spend on a pet than than what I could ever explain. So, so it, it's been an incredible ride for us.
1: Yeah. So, so Dale, you remember uh, before we hit record, um, we talked about jumping down rabbit holes. I'm about to go down a deep rabbit hole here <laughs> for about five to 10 minutes.
2: <laughs> okay. I'm ready.
1: <laughs> okay. So, so we talked about, you know, one of those dough sales average, you know, 4,000 or whatever. What's, what's a, what do I got to do? Not that I'm saying I've, I'm ready to be a high profile, um, Savannah cat owner, but, um, you know, what's it, what's it take to, to get one? I mean, and, and then to segue off that, who's your highest profile buyer to date?
2: <laughs> I can, I can, I can go down that rabbit hole with you. Uh, Beautiful. I, I think, and, and I, I like your thought process and, and, and maybe asking a question for yourself or, or others out there. And, and it's, it's, to, to put it into perspective, um, I taught at Joliet Junior College, um, decent salary. No, I mean, education, it's just not going to be a huge amount of money. Um, and our, our income was, was very modest at the time we started the, the cat business or the exotic feline breeding facility, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that, that particular business, um, it's allowed us to build a uh, $400,000 breeding facility. Uh, and that took us ahead of the game in terms of just being able to control the the every every aspect. We we set it up similar to a hog building where each the breeding area versus the birthing versus the weanings all on its own air exchange system. Everything's sanitized morning and night. Very similar to what you'd you'd find in a, in a really high end SBF type hog operation. So that, that gave us a huge advantage. And back to, back to your question, what would it take at this point? um, And we've started out a lot of different um, smaller breeders or people that that were wanting to get started in, in, in breeding Savannah cats. They would come in buy two to three females and a male. And some people would come in with a spreadsheet and they'd say, okay, I can buy five females and two males and four years from now, I've generated a gross sales of 2.3 million. And you know what? On paper, if they all bred when they should breed and if everything went exactly right, that hundred and some thousand dollar investment would return that kind of money. But as we know, in in the animal breeding business, there's a lot of ifs in there and and everything isn't going to work out as, as you, you so desire, but somebody with livestock experience such as yourself, That has obviously look at look at what you two have done with with Stock Talk. You this is a perfect example of thinking outside that box. When whenever you came up with this this concept and decided okay we're going to jump in with both feet, there's not many people that would have done that. Uh, Similar to similar to this jumping in the cat business. If you'd have told me I'm gonna in high school or even even in my undergraduate that. Every dollar of income for my family is going to be derived between selling cats or selling a goat. I'd have told you you're crazy. You've lost your mind. Um, but back back on topic a little bit. If 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 somebody from the livestock industry, and, and it seems a lot of these these livestock breeders are some that are, are raising Aussies and raising different kinds of dogs and, and having a lot of success. But that kind of background implemented in a companion animal business, whether it's Savannah cats or another cat breed or a different dog breeder, or whatever it may be, I promise you that background and that experience is what has allowed us to have success. And it's not a difficult model to follow. Um, you simply on a, on a smaller scale to start with is, is basically mimic what we've done in our operation using that livestock background. And, and we've had a, a lot of people start up. Some of them will, will go at it for a year and decide, wow, I've never raised animals before. I I don't know how to give a subcutaneous injection. I don't Mm. know how to birth out an animal. I don't know. And they're out of the business about as fast as they got in it. Mm. But those that have some experience have have really grown. And and I can't say they're competitors at this point because it seems like in our industry and the Savannah cat pet world, it's almost like the goat world right now for the very top end. The markets—I'm not going to say it's endless—but we we can't produce enough of the really, really good ones. There's there's more of a demand than what's ever going to be met out there, and and that maybe leads us into the highest. I think you, you'd ask about the highest profile client. Oh yeah, I'm talking that, like Mike Tyson or somebody. Yeah, that's or somebody what um, I was going to say. <laughs> <you know>? got <laughs> it. Well, that, that depends who you ask. If you ask my wife or if you ask myself, it's it's going to be different. And and a lot of times we're approached by what would I call assistance or personal assistance of, of the rich and famous. And we were not even a hundred percent sure of who's, who's behind that or who's actually purchasing that. Um, an interesting one. I don't know if it's the most famous and, and maybe you guys wouldn't remember it. I, I can't even think of his name. Uh, the gentleman from uh, girls gone wild videos.
0: Go, go, <laughs> Holy son. crap. No way. <laughs> Oh yes.
2: And he was, he was a great client from the standpoint that he had bought his first Savannah cat from us. And, and my wife, was the one dealing with it, and she she had no idea who he was, and didn't pay any attention to it i I didn't know until he came back to buy a second cat because his first one he had a home in mexico, and he he hired a person full time to take care of this cat in his vacation home or his summer home winter home whatever you want to refer to it as well, he had the cat for about six months, and then the next thing you know the the gentleman he'd hired to take care of the cat and the cat just disappeared they're gone they're in the depths of Mexico somewhere. Oh. So he's the perfect client. He comes back and buys another one. Um, And I I don't know what happened to that one. I think that the second one, he still hopefully still has it and and is doing great. But he actually came back to buy a third cat. And at that time, my wife had kind of figured out who he was. And I don't know that she didn't sell him a cat, but she she tried to discourage it in every manner she could. But um, that that would be one that I I find entertaining and interesting. Um, Muhammad Ali's daughter purchased a cat several years ago. And more recently, and and we originally had a disclosure agreement on this one that we weren't allowed to to discuss it, Um, but it's an interesting situation where a a high-profile person purchased one of these caps through a personal assistant, and we didn't know for sure who it was, and they came back uh, two or three weeks later and bought a second one. Well, we signed a non-disclosure contract that we wouldn't use that person for advertising or anything like that. Mm. Um, and I, I'll, I'll give you the name here in a minute, but uh, he had gotten himself in a situation where he started posting pictures of these cats on his Instagram page. And uh, you and I think we we have a big following. I think we have 37,000 people on Facebook for Hummel Livestock right mm. now. Mm-hmm. We're, we're excited to have that kind of audience. This gentleman has somewhere in excess of 19 million followers on Instagram. Um, so it's it's pretty big, but anyway, and, and I, I'm getting off topic again, but his, uh, he posts a few pictures on Instagram and it starts going a little, I wouldn't say viral, it's just a normal response for him to get a million plus likes on anything that he posts. So it, it got the attention of PETA and, uh, no, they were that. highly, highly upset that he not that he was mistreating the animal or anything like that, but the fact that he purchased an animal from a breeder rather than adopting from a pound. Oh, so he, uh, he took the stance with PETA and and to my knowledge, and and I haven't followed this very closely in the past few years, but most of those high profile celebrities are kind of in step with PETA and not going to, not going to sway too much from their beliefs, but he stood up from himself in a very professional manner and said, I have no problem with adopting from the pound, and I, I, I plan to do that in the future if, if needed or if I want another cat or another dog. But I also feel strongly that if there's a certain type of pet that I want to purchase and a certain breeder's raising that that type of animal, I see nothing wrong with with going out and buying it from them. And uh, stood up to PETA, and within, I mean, a couple days they they backed off of of that stance they took. Uh, in terms of trying to make him up to be a horrible person, and it was pretty pretty enlightening for us. Um, it was exposed that that we were the breeder that he'd purchased from, and it was actually a Justin Bieber.
0: No that, uh, way! <laughs> it
2: was, and he he has two of them now. And if you go to his Instagram page, he's actually got an Instagram just for the cats now. So he's disclosed where he's purchased them from. So we're no longer in our disclosure agreement about
0: hey, that's we can't good for you. About
2: Oh, it's great. It was, it was really good for sales. Um, when you get that kind of exposure, you I know on our website, we track the analytics pretty closely. And we'll normally on the cat site get three to 4,000 views or, or hits a day from people going to the website. And it jumped uh, just over 20,000 that day that story broke. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it's just incredible the impact that he had. And with that, remember, PETA was, was kind of against things. Uh, we received a couple hate emails uh, that, that didn't make any sense or, or any of the above, but not things you really want to open up and, and read by any means, but that, that passed within a day or two. And I would say in general, it's been a very positive, the exposure has been very positive from a sales standpoint. It's, it's advertising that you could never, never go out and purchase. Now, when are you going to so get the Biebs to buy a show goat? I, I don't know when we'll get that done, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm wide open to that suggestion.
1: Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's incredible! Wow, that was the best rabbit hole
2: I think I've been down in a while. <laughs> so it's good, and 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 just to give the audience maybe, and I, I didn't cover it earlier, and I, and I don't know how to approach this. We we were the first ones in the, to my knowledge, in the cat world, and and maybe even the dog world to a certain extent, that put up a website that we actually would put the pictures up there with a the price um, listed, and part of it was we would put something out on social media or on our website without a price. And you'd have everybody call and thinking oh, yeah. to buy a 50 dollar <laughs> yeah. And it just became overwhelming. So we, we put the prices up there and a lot of breeders said, well, you're you're in it for the money or not. You don't care about the animals. Well, guess what? We, we are trying to make it a business and, and make it our livelihood. But it, it's in our best interest to make sure that these animals are are cared for and we're doing the best job possible. So it's it's interesting. But but similar. Now, most of the breeders out there are putting those prices up there and you, you know right where they are. And, and to get people a perspective on, on how that's helped finance, the, the cats are what bought the goats. It's what bought the ground. It's what paid for our home. It's done everything literally. And, and if I try to keep in perspective, the cats are still the main source of income and the goats are, are definitely secondary to that. We are more passionate at this point about the goats and we spend significantly more time with the goats. And we have our manager and our staff and the the feline breeding facility that really are, are doing a great job, where we we can stop in and, and give them some guidance, but they're on a day-to-day basis taking care of those kind of things. And and uh, right now, my wife is is really good. It's it's interesting. I tell the story that she does all the marketing and, and answers the emails and the phone calls. She'll have somebody call up, and she may have a cat priced anywhere from a thousand dollars upwards of twenty-three thousand. But I would say the average kitten uh, is probably sold in that five thousand dollar range. But if she has one of the more expensive ones up there, say there's a kitten she's posted at fifteen thousand dollars as a pet. These aren't breeders, just pet prices. Somebody will call up and, and offer her fourteen thousand for the kitten. Well, well, I'm, I'm pretty confident that you two, along with myself, what do we do with that offer?
1: Check mark sold. Let's
2: sign the papers. Oh, it, it,
0: it, <laughs> it's gone fast. It's fast it's I can,
2: and she'll hold true to that price every single time. And it's interesting that. 90% of the time, she holds true, and she, she gets that, that dollar amount. and it's, it's amazing to me, but it is, it is a, an astronomical number. I, again, prior to being in this business, if you'd have told me somebody's going to spend several thousand dollars to buy a kitten, I'd have told you that's just not going to happen. But she sells them worldwide. Um, we've never weaned kittens that, that we've ever had to say, okay, we don't have a buyer for this. We, we better do something. Um, all of them sell. And, uh, and they sell for, for very good money each year that the prices of these cats have gone up each and every year. And it's, it's interesting from the standpoint that we probably have some of the most expensive ones out there you can think, well, people are going to shop around and and find something cheaper, but let's take another, another look at it. Why did Justin Bieber choose us to buy from? Well, part of the attraction probably was the price and, and that price indicates in their mind professionalism or somebody that's doing a little better job or it's the best. Uh-huh. And I think you follow that up with, with an equal level of customer service that that just isn't out there in that industry, that the level it should be, it just all works. And we've been very, very blessed. Wow. across the board on that.
0: Holy Where smokes. do we, where do we go from here? Um, <laughs> Where's
2: that next rabbit hole? That was,
1: that was awesome.
0: little break from the action. I know everybody loves to listen to Dale, but very quickly, there is a monumental show happening in Columbus, Ohio. The Ohio Best Series is with AGR at The Ohio State University December 6th through the 8th at The Ohio State Fairgrounds. This show includes over $7,000 in payouts with various prizes that will be handed out to the winner. This show put on by the men of the Alpha Gamma Row of The Ohio State University. These men have been able to donate over $50,000 to many charities, including nationwide children's hospital and wildfire relief if you have any questions for the show or even want to become a sponsor it's only three weeks away folks so make sure you enter now but you got to get a hold of devin coon at 740-418-3929 we look forward to seeing you there guys
1: let's okay social smash social smash you know i can segue in this in this manner justin bieber has a huge social media presence. So let's let's take it let's take that avenue. Social smash brought to you by Brad Hal Ford. If you get an event fender bender, maybe you smashed up your vehicle a little bit, visit Brad Howell Ford in Kokomo, Indiana and replace that truck with a better one. It's time to upgrade to a new truck cruise into the next show. Brad Howell Ford has got you covered with award-winning customer service that will lead you in the right direction on your next vehicle purchase. So this social smash segment is all about uh, social media. At least that's how it how it generated uh, from the beginning. Trevor and I kind of talking about our pet peeves, and uh, you know we've kind of expanded this topic to the general scope of the livestock industry. And what's interesting is we've had people take and spin this multiple different ways. But we want Dale's Hummel take Dale Hummel's take on your biggest pet peeves on social media or in the livestock industry in general?
2: Okay. Well, uh, I've got to be careful on that social media because <laughs> I have to maybe first off acknowledge that it's it's been a huge part of our branding and our, our getting that, maybe getting the the crossover families the, the families that that aren't traditionally showing goats to to kind of pay attention and think wow maybe I want to do that because it wasn't that many years ago and, and I'm not afraid to, to to just be very open about it if you'd have told me that my kids were going to show goats when I was growing up I would said well that's probably not going to happen guys that's not not something that that gets people really excited mm-hmm. but as goats have evolved and, and we're making them more like quality livestock not only has it become popular it's it's and maybe part of the reason that's driving some of these prices—it's even a little bit trendy right now—and I think social media is is partially responsible for expanding that brand and opening the eyes to to what goats can look like. Um, it's just just incredible what it's done. In my mind, um, a pet peeve from from that standpoint. And again, we're, we've embraced it. We have a, a, an incredible following that that we're just so thankful that that uh, people choose to to follow our. Our Facebook page and Instagram, and it's a, a very easy avenue for us to communicate out there with the public, and, and we use it primarily, I, I guess, to me, to encourage youth to be their best, to recognize some of those accomplishments by youth, and it, and it works out great. The downside, or the pet peeves, or maybe my biggest concern with social media, and, and this, this takes, takes it well outside the livestock industry, but just just our populace in general, I'm, I'm a little concerned that social media, whether it be Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, whatever it may be, has become kind of the focal point in some cases and a measuring stick for youth mm-hmm. that sometimes dictates mm-hmm. their social standing, their confidence, and, and just affects their lives in, in so many ways. And, and we find our children and on social media uh, more than, than I ideally would like them to be. But what, what is, is difficult is as adults, you can look out there and say, okay, we're seeing all these families on vacation. We're seeing this this picture of a near perfectly presented goat up on a, on a, on a show platform. We're seeing all these, we're seeing the best of the best. We're seeing what I want to put out there. We're seeing what uh, that young junior high person wants to put out there about about their life. And we're always posting what's, appealing or what maybe others want to see or are highlighting the, the very best parts of our life. And we need to realize that as adults and, and, and like yourself or, or myself or others that, that understand it, that's fine. But these, these kids are growing up in an era that all of a sudden they're seeing what some other family's able to do for a vacation or they're able to get this new car or they're able to, to do this or that. And it, it, I think it really is 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 making them compare themselves to an unrealistic goal. They're they're seeing the positive. They're not necessarily seeing the the downside or the the reality. So to me, and and I would be guilty of it as well. We're going to post when when a, a goat looks apart for a sale. We're going to throw that up there on social media and. And hopefully get some attention from it. And, and yeah, we're putting the best of our, our, our goats up there. I'm not taking the picture of the one that's in the back part of the pen that we didn't clip or we didn't wash or or any of the above. But we're getting the same thing from from elementary school, junior high kids, even high school kids. And and unfortunately, I think it's obsessing their life that they want to get a certain number of likes every time they put something up. They want to do this or that, and they're they're kind of comparing themselves um, to such. And it and it's and it's an issue that I think uh, society is going to have to, deal with. So there's your, your other rabbit hole. I just yeah. a totally different direction. Hey, now
1: that is, uh, you know, that's, again, I said it when we started, there's been several different spins on that and that is totally different. We're, this is what episode 42 or something like that. And, and that's a completely different take. And uh, it's, it's one that's truthful.
0: Well, um, as know, Dan Hogue and, would say, talk about it. perception is reality. So whatever you want people to see is what they're going to think. So I, that, absolutely. that's, that's a huge point. I like that a lot. So with that.
2: Yeah. And, 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 and as an adult, we can, we can read between the lines, but I, I'm not sure some of our youth are, are reading between those lines and there's, there's expectations and, and things that, that they're being presented with That in their mind. They, they don't have that life. And then I'm, I'm sure it's, it's depressing at some level.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you mentioned some of those like junior high, high school kids, and you know, like they can't really comprehend that. Well, let's flip this, the other side of that coin. And you've had a lot of interaction with some incredible show families and, and customers and showmen at that. But what separates that top tier of showmen that just absolutely get it done? That's a a good question.
2: I think that in the goat ring, we're going to see some of those elite showmen. We just came off of Kansas City, and we were so fortunate to have some of the the best stock kids that that were representing our genetics basically making us look good out there. They're they're so good at what they're doing. Um, I think you're going to see some of the same kids that you see in the pig ring or the lamb ring or the cattle ring that also are showing goats and, and those that are that are hitting the top level in the other species, they're going to do the same in in the goat. They're just those kids that, that understand that they get it. Um, Maybe the best way to to put it out there is they can go from one species or from one animal to another. And let's just use goats, obviously, as an example, each one of them is going to be individual and, and no different than the other species and how we need to get those shown. There's some kids that go out there and they think about, what they were told to do, how to show a goat or what they were told in a showmanship class. And then you get those other kids that are going to go out there and they, they just get it. They understand that, Hey, I better present the scope just a little bit different. I better take another angle on this. When I get pulled to go over to the scaled away, I'm aware that that judge is still looking at me where the other five people are just kind of standing there. When I'm, I'm ready to hit that ring and I've, I've got that, that look, that, that presence about me, that I've got a good one we need to pay attention here. Um, I find that a lot of these kids obviously come to this with maturity. There's a lot of really good young showmen out there that can get goat stuck um, but until they they hit a certain stage of maturity, getting the big picture and understanding wow each each show rings different each distance that you're gonna be from the judge is is different everything is different and being able to adapt to such is is impressive and I think one of the, the the biggest things that that I I think evolves and I, I can't coach or teach or or help our our families uh, with is just experience. Whether it's time hands-on in the show ring, or if it's one of my children down the barn that are they're pushing 200 recips to shoot to give a shot of PG 600, it's uh, it's kind of like um, I guess maybe an example we could use. I think you guys had uh, Temple Grandin on a, a few episodes yep. ago and. That whole animal behavior aspect, we may not talk about the flight zone or the point of balance with our kids or those things, but those good livestock kids, they're already doing it. They understand it. They take advantage of it. Those are the same kids that are, are just rising to the top in the show ring. It's 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 impressive.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, I've got so, so much respect for the the other species uh, you know, I, I kind of know what it takes to get a the hog driven, but I showed sheep for two years, and that's the most I've sweat in a show ring ever. And just the way that that I mean, it, it could be cattle, it can be goats, whatever. But the interaction that these kids get with livestock uh, is kind of goes with the value of what you bought that livestock for. So um, just an interesting concept. I think there are showmen who have it just like LeBron James has it on the basketball court. There's also showmen who have it in the ring. So just kind of wanted to throw that out there.
2: Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. It's, it's hard to teach. It's hard to coach. It just give them the opportunity, give them the tools and, and some of those will arise to the occasion and become those, those individuals.
1: So, so Dale, this is a rough segue into another topic that I, I really want to cover before we wrap up here. Uh, because this is something we've talked about before, and and obviously you being in the state of Illinois and 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 the uh, uh, the policies that are enacted there at the state fair and and other national shows around the country, I want to get your thoughts on on these drug testing policies and and some of the ethics that are involved in the show stock business. It's it's not an easy conversation to have, but it's it's one that I think is necessary, and especially with with leaders such as yourself and, and, in the industry uh, you know, being able to kind of get your, your take on, on those topics I think is important for people to hear. So um, floor is open. Uh, We can, we can go whichever direction you'd like, but um, you know, I think it'd be kind of cool to get your thoughts on, on some of these policies and and whatnot. No,
2: absolutely. And it's, it's a sensitive issue and, and uh, my children are showing and there's there's a lot of drug testing going on across the country, and, and I'm 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 happy to address the issue. I've taken it upon myself to to try to do my best to educate some of the shows and and put them in touch with those that that truly understand the protocols that need to be in place, um, that understand how to evaluate a carcass for issues. Um, it's something that uh, it's an unfortunate evil. I wish we we didn't even have to have this discussion, but it's the real world, and anytime that We're involved in in a level of competition in any sport that rises to the level that it's become in our junior livestock show ring, maybe even more specifically uh, the market ring. Um, It's human nature that people are going to look for competitive advantage. In a perfect world, um, that competitive advantage in my mind would come from working harder and smarter than your competition. But as we all know, there's going to be some that, that choose to take those shortcuts. Um, it becomes an uneven playing field at that point. Um, as a breeder, and, and I, I hope other breeders look at it similar across species, the, the more manipulation that is, is taking place out there uh, that isn't related to genetics, it's not related to exercise, but, but what we're going to refer to as taking those shortcuts devalues the good genetics that you're, you're trying to work towards so in my opinion, every breeder should probably take a stance on this and, and do their best to 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 regulate it or or keep it under under check because it's 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 certainly much easier for someone to buy an average animal and and create that animal or manufacture it than it is to go out and, and search out that great one or, or have to mm-hmm. spend the money to get that that one. So it's it's interesting. Um there are people out there that understand it. there are policies in place at some of the shows that understand it. But unfortunately at m- many of our state fairs and even many of our national shows, everybody can't be a biochemist, muscle biologist, a stock show person, all of those things in one.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
2: really takes somebody that understands what's going on in the show ring and the industry. Unfortunately, the the, the negative that maybe is taking place it takes somebody that understands the protocols and the science behind it. And it takes somebody, maybe even with with some meats background or carcass background, to to inspect those carcasses. And, and we do have those individuals out there. Um, one of them that I that I refer a lot of people to is uh, Dr. Clays at Purdue University. He has uh, spent a great deal of time in, in this particular area, and he has a, a pet peeve. We can we can pull from one of our earlier segments. <laughs> that here at Illinois, we have something called zero tolerance. Uh And and, and that's an easy one to jump on board. Everybody's not going to be, I mean, most people have a zero tolerance for the shortcuts that sometimes are being taken. Um, That's easy to say, yes, I'm against that. But in this definition, unfortunately, those that are implementing zero tolerance don't necessarily understand the impact. This is a zero, zero tolerance from the standpoint that we're collecting urine sending it to a forensics laboratory um, with some parameters you would assume, but they're going to test for, for multitude of things. A lot of it is carry over from the, the racehorse industry and it doesn't come back with a parts per million or parts per trillion or parts per billion, any of those things, no quantitative analysis, simply a positive or a negative. Mm-hmm. I want to maybe put this in, in better
0: perspective.
2: Um, Trevor, uh, Corey, one of you have a wallet on your money flip. Any money I in don't, the Trevor, do the you?
0: Moment? I don't with <laughs> me. I'm in the office.
2: <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pretend here, guys.
0: Yeah, pick yeah, yeah, I got one, Dale. Right
2: um, okay, <laughs> I, I, Trevor, if you were to take a, a any any denomination, a dollar bill, a five dollar bill, out of your wallet, set it on on your desk, and we take a sterilized plastic bag, um, some tweezers, take that that dollar bill, put it in that bag. Send it to that same forensics laboratory that's doing a lot of the drug testing, and I'm going to assume, okay, and I, and I don't know you that well, Trevor, but you seem like a good guy. I'm going to assume you're not a cocaine dealer. No, you're not using cocaine on a regular basis. But you know what? When we send that dollar bill off,
0: statistically speaking,
2: odds are in the favor that that will test positive for cocaine.
0: Just at, because at it crossed too many hands. Of,
2: yeah. I mean, it's not a quantitative test. It's just that positive or negative, And it's gone through that many hands that it, the likelihood is it, it will test positive. And that's, that's, that's the best example that I can give. Obviously, you, you had nothing to do with it, but that static or that cross-contamination. And, and static's a word that, that Dr. Clays uses a lot, that just within that lab itself, when we're talking parts per trillion. I mean, that's, that's nothing.
0: Uh-huh. And, and
2: that pops up and, and creates a positive test. They'll retest a second time. Sometimes it'll come back positive. Sometimes it'll come back negative. And unfortunately that's, that's what it's based off of. And I don't think it's, it's um, intended to do any harm by the state fair officials or the national show officials, or even some of the county fair officials. I think it's more about not being educated. Yeah. And that's where Dr. Clay is presented to most of those in charge of the Texas majors he has a PowerPoint established about zero tolerance, and it just makes sense that, that we have to, to go, if we're going to do the testing, and, and I'm, I'm very much in favor, I, wanna to, I don't want to be confused, we need the testing procedures out there, hopefully moving into the future, maybe we can self-regulate and we don't need that, but competition kind of pulls these type of, of issues into play sometimes, and it just is what it is. So I think we're going to need to continue to test and, and do different things but we need to be smarter about it. We need to use quantitative testing. We need to think about have some common senses. I, I know I had gotten a phone call a few years ago that all the hogs at, at Illinois were testing positive for caffeine,
0: uh-huh. and they
2: wanted to throw all these hogs out. After you put a little thought into it, um, the caffeine was coming from from some of the insurer, the chocolate insurer that they were giving them at the show. Obviously, no harm intended, but Legally, technically speaking, whatever direction you want to take, the Illinois State Fair says, "Well, caffeine's not an approved drug by the FDA." In theory, they're they're thrown out for that. That's where where common sense has to come into play. And are there drugs being used that are absolutely unacceptable at any level? No question.
0: Mm-hmm. Are
2: there things that are transdermal? Are there things that we can come up with a static and things like that 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 may test positive, but if you do a quantitative test and they're at a certain level that gives the animal no performance advantage, that's, that's maybe even, even a low level of antibiotic that we, we don't know every animal's metabolism and if that withdrawal date was, was exactly accurate. All of those things, there's, there's a level of common sense in a professional protocol that needs to be implemented across the country that's developed and implemented correctly, and I think it would, would help. It's never going to be a good topic. It's not a good situation. There's nothing good about this, other than the fact that we can talk about it openly, uh-huh. and I'm not afraid to talk about it. It's 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 something that's there, and we we have to we have to deal with. But I hope they follow Matt Clay's lead or Doctor Clay's lead, and and they're able. He's he's happy to provide the protocols. He's happy to provide a lot of the information they need if they're simply willing to reach out and 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 ask for some of that guidance. Yeah.
0: Uh, it was interesting. We were at the Indiana State Fair there and had a chance to discuss just very briefly uh, about some of those topics, and, and we plan to get uh, uh, Dr. Clay's on just to talk more about that because it's it's fascinating stuff. It's a topic that many people like to talk about but don't want to be the one to mention it so hey we appreciate you uh opening up the book on that so uh we also appreciate your time tonight this has been absolutely incredible learning about cats learning more about goats it's been every rabbit hole has been a a very very good one so the last one we're going to jump in is one that we do with everybody we just want to know your opinion of where you see the show stock industry in five years
2: yes um that, that's a good one. I, and I, I'm sure that this one's been answered in, in a multitude of ways. Um, and, a, and a friend of mine, Ryan Rash, and, and I have, have discussed this as well. So maybe the answer, I, I, I don't recall exactly what his answer was to it. But in my mind, we, we, we need to look back to maybe better predict the future. And there was a lot of years in the show ring was the primary tool for breeders to, to market their livestock, for other breeders to, to come in or even commercial people to come in and watch the show and or purchase livestock. If, if I would love to turn the clock back 50, 60 years and go to the international and just see that crowd of people that's in a, in a sports jacket and tie watching a show. And it may be a commercial breeder from Iowa. Um, the show ring really had a, a interesting purpose at that time. And it's a purpose that we see in other countries today in terms of just being very uh, a strong direct correlation commercial world. Um, Good, bad, and different. I think it served its purpose for a long time in in that manner. Um, I had the opportunity to attend Palermo Livestock Show in Buenos Aires, Argentina this past summer. Uh, I was down there watching the Angus Cattle Show, and then a month or so later was able to go down and judge as an associate the National Angus Show in Argentina. And at the Palermo Show, when it came time to watch the champion bull or even watch the bull classes, there were hundreds of people gathered around that, that arena trying to get a bear to look at these livestock, and the majority of those people were cattle producers in some purebred, some commercial, but they were all there trying to figure out what what direction they need to go next, similar to what I would envision we were 50, 60 years ago. So it's, it's, it's just incredible to me that, that those things are, are still taking place, and it's interesting. Right now, what direction is the show ring going? That, that's a hard one, but uh, the cool factor comes into play. And our show ring, in, in my mind, has evolved from that type of purpose we, we just discussed to a show ring that, that is now clearly dominated by the junior exhibitor. Mm. This directional change uh, may not have been popular with everybody. I know I fought it, I think, when, when I could feel it straying further and further away from commercial practicality. And I'm not afraid to, to say the goats that we're raising right now that the weights we're showing them at has absolutely no correlation to the commercial goat world, period. It is a wonderful tool to educate our youth, to build responsibility to do all the things that we know it can do. Um, so it's, it's interesting. We, we've definitely evolved into the show ring now being a teaching tool. Um, if the ethics, the politics in the show ring can stay in check. In my mind, this platform that we call the Stock Show has a bright future. Uh, I'm just as motivated today as I've ever been in the past to be a part of, of an industry that that can touch that many lives and and provide a platform for so much success. There's a lot of ifs in there for that to keep going, but I, I have no reason to believe that that five years from now, it will be even stronger than we see today.
0: Wow. I love it. I hope uh, people are listening because I I love to pick the brains of those uh, who we call leaders within the industry. What an incredible interview and discussion, Dale. Thanks so much for uh, jumping on with us and taking a couple hours out of your evening. So uh, this has been great. I hope uh, people see value in this as I do. Uh, My notebook is full. I don't know about you, Corey, but uh, I've got a lot of notes written down. So it's definitely full.
1: Yeah, Dale, (laughs) we, uh, we we've been itching to get you on we've been trying to find the right timing and it just so happened that right before Louisville we thought it was uh, was a good time and and uh we need to get some some more goat discussion on the podcast so it was kind of nice uh that we were able to do that and i tell you what just the the different directions we took um throughout the whole deal i mean we talked about you know getting off on certain tangents uh i think that's what this whole thing's about anyway so Uh, really thankful to have you on.
2: Oh guys, I I appreciate it. Very enjoyable to visit with you. and look forward to, uh, to visiting with you in the future. You
0: betcha. May see you down on the green shavings. Absolutely. All right. Thanks Dale. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well folks, uh, another one that we will write down on the record books as an incredible one. We say this every time. I don't know how we keep getting the guests we do, but Man, oh, man, I would call us lucky. So don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. That helps us out a bunch. If you're on the Apple podcast, give us a five-star review. Give us a little review, see what you think. And obviously, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, of course, Snapchat. Big news coming up in a couple days, Corey. A couple days, big news
1: coming up. You know what big news we have right now, though, is, ladies and gentlemen... It is official. We are getting hoodies. That's right. Hoodies. We said it in the intro delivered. I just want to reiterate this. You guys have been begging us for sweatshirts. They are coming. Finally, They are cool. And, uh, well, actually they're warm, but, uh, you know, they're neat. They're cool as in neat, you know, uh, you know, uh, what's that movie uh, where they say bad and bad means good. It's a basketball movie. Anyway, besides the point, ladies and gentlemen, uh we're gonna be in Louisville on Monday the eighteenth in room B one oh two. Thank you, Trevor. With none other than Brian Arnold. Gonna be awesome. We're looking forward to it. We're gonna have a cash bar there. We're gonna have some giveaways. We're pumped. Uh gonna be some real good discussion. We're right. gonna bring back a little segment called Breed 'em, ship'em, show 'em from our good buddy Max Luck. Freedom them, Ship and them, Show, them,
0: sponsored by Look Life. So. That's right. And for those of you that will be in attendance that weekend, we will be there all weekend. But the show will be on that Monday, right after the senior college critique, which we can estimate is about seven p.m. So yep. we it may run longer, may run quicker, but if you are in the greater Louisville area, you should be at the Kentucky Expo Center, November eighteenth to listen. To the incredible Brian Arnold. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, like Trevor said, follow us on social media. Continue
1: to like and share and promote. We can't do what we do without you guys. You're the only reason, besides the fact that Trevor and I get to talk to some cool people, that we do this. That's right. (laughs) So visit our brand new website. Not brand new. It's got a facelift. Stocktalk-podcast.com. Get your merch. Uh, Check out the cool things that we have going on. We're going to be posting some new stuff, maybe some videos. Uh, We're excited. So once again, thank you all for listening.
0: You guys are incredible. This has been another edition of Stock Talk.